0: Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23.
1: But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law.
0: And also from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong, a clanging symbol.
1: If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing.
0: And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing.
1: Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly.
0: It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth.
1: Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails.
0: But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away.
1: For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away.
0: When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things.
1: For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, But then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known.
0: But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love.
1: This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks Thanks be to to God.
2: God. Well, we're so grateful to Deech and Keeley, their girls, Carlisle and Hallie Mae, uh, they're a great joy to us. We're grateful for CYMT. Deach is the head of CYMT, the Center for Youth Ministry Training, right next door and does such a marvelous ministry there. And we're grateful to the Kirk family. Also, just I want to say a, a personal word of how thankful we are that you're with us today. It means so much to know that you're sitting on your sofa, you're sitting at your kitchen table, uh, that you're a part of this worship with us and it's a great joy uh, to be with you. Thanks to Shelby for that beautiful prayer. We feel like we're in the presence of God as she prayed and uh, to Casey for the children's sermon that you will probably remember even more than this sermon, the adult sermon, but we're grateful for the reminder that she has shared with us from scripture uh, to Jeff, to Greg, to Patsy, to James, to our praise team to all in the production who are helping us to be able to worship together, Uh, we are so, so grateful. Well, I don't need to tell you that whenever you hear the passage read that the Kirk family just read, the very next voice that you expect to hear says, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God to witness and bless the joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. We always associate 1 Corinthians 13 with the covenant service of Christian marriage. And usually in any service of marriage, it's either 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, or it's Colossians 3 verse 14, which says above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Or if you're really at a loss, go to Ruth 1.16. Whither you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people and your God, my God. It's pretty predictable these days, the reading that you expect to hear at the service of Christian marriage. Some of you are fully aware that our daughter Haley is about to get married a little later this year. And she and Zach, her fiance, asked me to do the honors. Uh, I told them that I would pray about it. And I asked her what scripture that she wanted me to read. She said she'd like for me to choose it. And so I thought about the three I just mentioned, but I've decided to be a little different. I think I'm gonna read from John chapter 11, verse 35, which simply says, and Jesus wept. If that's not good enough, I would probably turn to the Proverbs, to the wisdom writings that we just finished studying, maybe to read chapter 21, Proverbs verse nine, which simply says, better to live in a corner on the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome spouse. Now, I don't think I'm going to tell Haley what I'm going to do. I think that I may just let it be a surprise. And of course, if I do that, Sherry and I will need to take two cars. On second thought, maybe we should stick with Corinthians. It is important to note this morning, as we think about the fruit of love, it is important to note that Paul didn't really write this particular piece for a wedding. This is not a rhapsody on romance. It's it's not a commentary on marital bliss. It is actually a prescription for a church that was having a tough time sticking together. It's in the front lines of relational and communal dissent that Paul offers to us a way of living that is selfless, that is sacrificial, that is loving. And maybe, just maybe, since our homes are the most basic unit in human civilization, maybe these verses are, in fact, fitting for a wedding day. I was reading a book the other day by Phil Calloway. Uh, Mr. Calloway is a Canadian essayist, writer, humorist, and he's written a book called Family Squeeze, in which he writes the following words about marriage. The first three years of our marriage were miserable until I got a divorce, a divorce from loving myself and seeking my own way. I was reading the book of Galatians one night when I stumbled across this verse in chapter two, verse 20, which says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Suddenly, he says, a profound thought hit me. If I'm dead, And Christ is living in me can my wife see him there I have since discovered he says that finding the right person is less important than being the right person the happiest married people I know he says I have discovered that they have discovered early on that the better comes after the worse but this text was written, not for those bound by the covenant of marriage. This text was written for those bound by the covenant of baptism. The truth of the matter is when you repent of your sin, when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and savior, you are not only united to God, you are wedded to his body. You are married to the faith community with all of its joys, with all of its heartaches, with with all of its blessings, with all of its foibles, as we used to say, when you're baptized, you're married to the mob of love. Now, here's what we know about Paul. For Paul, true love, real love, genuine love is not really measured by how good it makes you feel, but it's measured by our capacity to endure friction without division. I've always been fascinated that among the 12 that Jesus chose to follow him, to be disciples, to be apostles, that two of them, one of them was actually a zealot, Simon the Zealot, who hated the Roman government, and the other was Levi, or Matthew, who was a tax collector who profited from the Roman government. It's always struck me as a little humorous that Jesus chose these two opposite men to be roommates among the 12 in order to test the fabric of their love. I think that Paul would be the first to say, love doesn't always feel good. The truth of the matter is, and I'm preaching to the choir today, sometimes love hurts. Some of you who are musicians would know the name Budlo Bryant. Mr. Bryant and his wife, Felice, wrote 6,000 songs in Nashville. They wrote songs that some of you older folk would remember, like Bye Bye Love, Wake Up Little Susie. But they also wrote a song called Love Hurts. It was recorded in 1960, first by the Everly Brothers, and some of you also may remember in the 70s, I think it was about 70, 1975, that a Scottish rock band named Nazareth also made this a hit. And of course later, a folk singer named Amy Lou Harris sang it. Here's how it goes. Love hurts. Love scars. Love wounds. Love marks. Any heart not tough or strong enough to t- take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud. It holds a lot of rain. <laughs> love hurts. Now, to be sure, love heals. To be sure, love redeems. Love reconciles. But sometimes, love hurts. Love always leaves a mark, it certainly did for Jesus. The hurt in Corinth was related to the spiritual gifts of the people. Now of all the churches that Paul established, and there were many, there was none more gifted than Corinth. They were affluent, they were educated, they were knowledgeable, they were industrious, they were sophisticated. But somehow or another, the congregation, after Paul left, after 18 months, they got sort of sideways in regard to spiritual gifts. And they began to fuss and argue, which one is the most important? Who among us is the most gifted? My gift is better than yours. And this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes into play. If you were with us last week, you may remember that we talked about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is the natural outgrowth. It's the organic result of an abiding attachment to Jesus, who is the vine. But what was going on in Corinth was, apparently, they had a fruit shortage. They had a deficiency of joy. They had a lack of peace. There was very little patience among them for each other. There was not much kindness. And, and above all, worst of all, they had a shortage of love. Haddon Robinson, the great Baptist preacher who died just three years ago, said it like this Love is that thing which, if a church has it, it doesn't really need much else. But if it doesn't have it, whatever else it's got doesn't seem to matter. Very much. It's the preeminent fruit, love. Now, Jesus said this himself. You remember in his farewell section in the fourth Gospel, John thirteen thirty five. Jesus said, "By this shall all people know that you're mine by the way that you love each other, not by your preaching, not by tongues, not." by prophecy, not through philanthropy, not through knowledge, not through faith, not even through martyrdom, but by love. This is the litmus test of a disciple of Jesus. If you look at the verse just prior to that, verse 34 in John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give unto you, that you're to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus just upped the ante on us. As I have loved you, how has Jesus loved us? Selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally, without restriction, unwarranted, unconditional, agape love. That's the highest form of love that originates with God. In 1 John 4, the apostle says that the very nature, the essence of God's character is love. And Jesus says it's the ultimate standard. It is the litmus test. It is the defining mark of a believer. In fact, I think you can make a case for the fact that all the other fruits in the basket are just concrete expressions of love. For example, joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love waiting. Kindness is love's caress. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's disposition. Self-control is is love's discipline, but it's all about agape. Love is the preeminent fruit that enables the church to be sticky, (laughs) to stick together. Not only is love preeminent, but I think love is practical. In other words, it's not some kind of hypothetical, ethereal, abstract, intangible ideal. It's always hands-on. The truth is, love is not just a noun. Love is a verb. It's something we do. Many of you have told me about a book that you've read by Bob Goff. It's called Love Does. One of the wonderful quotes in the book, and there are many, that Bob says is, he says at one point, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with people. Boy, don't we know that feeling, especially right now. On another page, he says, you don't always need a plan. Sometimes you just need to be present. Presence is embodied love. It's, it's incarnational. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. With us. And my, my favorite quote in the whole book is this. Most of us need love and acceptance more than we need advice. boy, is that ever true? Love does, it's a verb. In fact, Casey shared this with us a moment ago, in chapter 13, verses four through seven, there are no less than 15 verbs in that section. Seven are positive, eight negative, and Paul is very specific about what love does and what love doesn't do. First, the positive. He says, love is patient, it's kind, it's happy about the truth, it bears all things. That means it puts up with a lot. It believes all things, that means it expects the best. It hopes all things, it endures all things. And then Paul gives us the negative. This is what love is not. Love is not jealous, doesn't want what everybody else has. It's not braggadocious. It doesn't call attention to itself. It's not egotistical or rude. It's not demanding. It doesn't have to have its way. It's not easily irritated, frustrated. It's not resentful. In other words, it doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't pout. And it doesn't rejoice in injustice. This is what love does. This is what love doesn't do. What is Paul doing in Corinth? He is gently reprimanding them because the things love does, they're not always doing. And the things love does not do, they seem to be doing. The bottom line struggle in Corinth is they are big on gifts, but they are small on fruit. But without the fruit, the gift means nothing. It's practical. And finally, love, says Paul, is permanent. It never fails. Shelby in her prayer said that love always wins, and it does ultimately. Spiritual gifts, they have a shelf life, right? Tongues. That's going to pass. Prophecy, preaching, you're not going to remember much of this. Knowledge, all of that has an expiration date. It has a eulogy, but not love. Love is always in season. Love is unlimited. Love is infinite. Love is eternal. You cannot quarantine love. It's permanent. The psalmist says it like this in chapter 136, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his love endures forever. I love the way Paul spells it out in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8. You remember, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus i love the way eugene peterson paraphrases this this in his gift to the church called the message he says it like this listen nothing will finally phase us nothing living or dead nothing today or next week nothing high or low nothing thinkable or unimaginable no epidemic or pandemic no virus no disease no gain no loss no angel no demon no burden no obstacle absolutely no thing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Christ, our master, has loved us. It's forever. Love is the glue that makes the church stick together. Let me give you an example And I'm finished. Two weeks ago, on Good Friday, just before Easter, my mother came by our house and and gave us a gift that we treasure. It's a simple gift. It's an old sheet of paper. Uh, She found it in a drawer in my dad's office. It, It was a list of names. Some of them were typed. Some were handwritten. The page was old and yellowed, but the names are still legible, and I recognized that it was a page out of my father's prayer list. It was after the stroke, I could tell that, because where once his penmanship had been so beautiful, it was still legible, but a bit difficult to read. And my name was on that list. My sister, my brother, my mother, our family, our friends, In fact, as I studied the list, I found on the back of it, in his handwriting, three names of people who are part of this church. Some of you, I guess, knew him years ago. He's been gone almost 16 years. Some of you knew him, I guess, in another life. And maybe one day, you ask him for prayer. And he wrote it down. I got my cell phone and I I took a picture of the page and I sent it to those three friends. I think they're probably watching this morning. I sent it to them, their names, because I wanted them to know that someone on the other side loved them enough to intercede for them. I still have the sheet. It's helping me to be more intentional about keeping my list. And as I read it, it occurred to me that the most loving thing that you can ever do for another human being is to pray for them. I mean really pray, not just to say it, but to do it. It occurred to me that the church is at her best when we are on our knees, when we're interceding for one another, I want to give you a challenge this morning because i think that praying for someone is a spiritual hug (laughs) i know it is i'm going to ask each of you who are watching for the next nine weeks while we go through this fruitful series for you beginning maybe today but certainly tomorrow to pick one person every day for whom you will pray on that day. And on that day, you will contact them by a letter or by email or by a text or a phone call or social media. You will contact that person on that day and let them know that you're lifting them up in prayer, that you're encouraging them, and even ask them, is there a way that I can specifically pray for you? Now, if you're a little sheepish about it, just... Say it's something that your crazy pastor at Brentwood recommended that you do, but do it and then record their name in your journal. Get a journal, record the name, which will become your prayer list. I think it will mean something to the person that you call, and I know it will mean the world to you. I figured the other day that if each one of us do this seven days a week with seven different people each week for nine weeks, do the math, that's 63 people. And that if you were to multiply 63 times 8,500, which is the membership of the church, the number is 535,500, it's half a million. And if you who are a part of this streaming community, wherever you live in the world, if you were to join us in this challenge, we would touch and reach over a million people with the fruit of love. It's not about the number, it's about the fruit And I've discovered, as did the church in Corinth, that it's the fruit that determines the impact of the gift. There is exponential fruit in a simple act of love. After our benediction in a few moments, there will be information and instruction as to how you can be involved in the fruit challenge And I'm inviting you to join us today for the next nine weeks so that love can be a verb and not just a noun. And that together as God's body, united by the Spirit of God, that we might become intentionally fruitful for love's sake to the glory of God so that we might be a sticky church. In Jesus' name, amen.